to the Miracle Temple Worship Center, where our service is in progress. Tonight we're going to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 4. We'll take just a little tiny beginning of the sermon, and then we'll go to, uh, well I'm giving you advance notice, we're going to 2 Kings chapter 5 after that. So if you need a little time to find 2 Kings chapter 5, you might want to skip the Luke, but uh, that's where we'll be afterwards. So we're in Luke chapter 4, and let's look at verse 27. Here's what the Bible says. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Eliseus the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. We've entitled our study for tonight, Surprises and Disappointments. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the things that you are accomplishing in your name. We're grateful for Jesus and what he does in our presence to give us courage to build our faith. Now tonight, once again, I dare not go forward until I have the assurance that you are here with us. You have said that where two or three are gathered in your name, you will be in the midst of them. So all around the globe, wherever the downlink sites are tonight, Father, be there with everyone. And I pray that because of it, we shall experience the power in Jesus' name. Amen. This, uh, this is a marvelous story. If I get carried away, and sometimes I do, I, I hope you'll forgive me. There are people from different cultures who respond to the Word of God in different ways. Some people are very quiet. I have nothing against you. In fact, my rule is very simple. You don't tell me how to preach, I won't tell you how to respond. <laughs> but uh, I promise you, this one gets me excited. You recognize that uh, this gentleman is most often referred to as Naaman. There's a little dip in that name that I've had to put. I am from the state of Alabama. My tongue does not automatically speak in the cadence that's known in the Middle East. So if I revert to Naaman, you won't be mad at me, will you? It's a cultural thing. But Naaman is a mighty man of valor. He's a military strategist. Uh, through him, God has given some amazing talents. Now, somebody will say God was not on the side of the Syrians. God, you can't say that God blessed Naaman when he was against the people of God. And, and there are those who think that if you're not on my side, you're not on God's side. I believe God gives blessings to people on every side of every equation. And I believe that every talent, every skill comes from the hand of God. You decide how you use it. So allow me, if you will, to believe that even Naaman, while he was on the wrong side to us, still had to get his skills from God. He had won many victories. He understood how to uh, go in skillfully, perhaps use the phalanx and surround the enemy so that before they even knew what was happening he was upon them and the king of Syria Benadad had great pride in Naaman so that when you begin to talk about how powerful was the country of Syria then Benadad would say it's all due to Naaman 
And there would be people who would join in and say, yes, it's Naomi. I believe that if little children were around and saw him coming, particularly the boys, you know, they get carried away with that kind of thing. So forgive me if I think that when they saw him coming, they would say, hey, 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 look. There he is. Who? Naaman. Coming in his cherry. You ever see a cherry like that? <laughs> yeah, look at him. Here he comes. Man, you know something? When I grow up, I'm going to be just like Naaman. He was a man of valor. He was a man of power. When you get power, money usually follows it. So I would suggest to you that when he showed up, he wore clothing that betokened his place in life. That's usually how it goes. There was, however, a chink in Naaman's armor. With all of the power that he had, he also had a disease that was an awful distraction to who he was. He was a leper. Now, I, I could describe it in fairly good detail. I think I can make some of you even get a little nauseous because I've studied what it looked like. I know the coloration of the skin and how the colors changed. I know that the, uh, that, that the hair that was normally on the body would also change color. I, I could explain things in, in detail that would be a little hard to stand. So let's just say that leprosy was not anything you wanted to have. It might be equivalent to some of the diseases we know now that carry a social stigma with them. And so even though the young people, the boys might have been excited about what he was and what he had done, when they thought about getting close to him, somebody had to say, yeah, but don't get close to him. Why not? He got leprosy. And you know, they don't know how that thing moves. It might, you might get it. It might come off of him. So you didn't know how quite to take him. Here was a man with all of this power, and yet he has this problem that detracts from who he is. If anybody had the resources to be healed, it was Naaman. I, I, I have no question in my mind that he went to the best physicians that Syria had. When you got money, you can get the best medical care. You can travel anywhere. You can go where the doctors are, or you can pay to fly them in to you. If you don't have resources, it's difficult. But this man commanded everything that he needed. So I have no doubt that he had tried every physician. Then after you run out of the physicians, you, uh, well, today you would get on late night television and watch infomercials. And they got a lot of them that tell you how to cure practically anything. You're not sure whether it's true or not. They say that if you use this pill or this powder or if you get into this regimen, but, but maybe he had even tried things, not on television, of course, but somebody would come and say, uh, uh, Naomi, I've heard of, of, of a cure and you ought to try that. Perhaps even those spoke with those old wives' tales. You know, have you ever heard some of those? You better be careful with them. Some of them may be true, 
but others will have you doing things that you know that you ought not do even when you begin to start with them a bell ought to ring in the back of your head and tell you you have gone too far but if you are weary of your illness you will try practically anything to get rid of it so in this house there was a theme that was there and the theme could not be ignored because the man of the house with all of his power every time he moved you looked at him and saw spots on his skin and you recognize that as he moved he may have a twisted joint and somebody would say that's so sad Naaman is a leper well in one of the raids that the Syrians would often uh, conduct someone went into Israel and this is a very sad story they snatched from her home a little girl took her from her family brought her into Syria and she must have been precocious in some kind of way because she ends up in the house of Naaman if she were lazy she would have never gotten there out of pause to punctuate that I know people right now who are praying for wonderful things to happen in their lives and I would suggest to you that God feeds the birds but he does not throw worms in their nest if you want a job you ought to go where jobs are on a Monday morning you should not be in your bed still asleep thinking that somebody's gonna knock on your door and say hey I heard you were looking for a job that's not the way it happens God will answer your prayers but you ought to be in the vicinity of answers so if you're asking for a job be where jobs are in fact uh, you've got to show some initiative God does not reward people who only pray until you have prayed there is nothing more important that you can do except pray but when you have prayed you ought to begin to move at the dictates of God because God rewards those who knock, who seek, those who are moving in the direction that he directs. This little girl must have been quite somebody because they said, look, you are perfect. We're going to send you to a nice house. I know you don't like being here, but since you've got to be here anyway, we're going to send you to the house of Lord Nahum. And when you get there, you'll discover that you'll be surrounded by wealth and luxury. Now, reality check. You take me from my home. Hmm? Take me from my country. Take me from my family. And then you think I'm going to get excited about going to some soldier's house? I'm so glad that I was not in the spot where this little girl is. Because I don't know if I would have been so quick to move at God's commands. I think I would have had a moment where I'd, been, I'd have been too bitter to respond. Because I'm going to be honest with you. If they put me in that house, I might have thought at least once or twice, I wish his hand would drop off. <laughs> Bring me over here. I mean, a slave in his house. I wish his leg would fall off and he'd go sideways and sink somewhere. But when he came by, I would know that I needed to say, Hello there, Lord Naaman. How are you this morning? 
But you know something? The power of Jesus can keep you from becoming bitter in the worst of circumstances. Pain is inevitable. Misery is optional. Nobody has to be miserable. In fact, you can tell me all about your situation tonight, and I'm sure if we gave everybody an opportunity, we'd talk each other down to the dregs, we'd chase each other to some river and jump in corporately. But the fact is that you may be surrounded by negative situations, but you don't have to get bathed in negativity. You don't have to turn bitter just because your situation is bitter. In fact, I posit to you that Jesus is so powerful that he can find you in a terrible situation and his love can pipe into your mind and into your heart until you are different than where you are. Anybody can be miserable in the midst of misery. It takes somebody who knows Jesus to be different than your surroundings. And I suggest to you that you ought not languish where you are. In fact, there's somebody here tonight who could tell us, I, I don't even want to go home. I tell you what, pick up a little Jesus before you go home. Take him home with you. In fact, let him go home before you. Let him get there before you arrive. And I promise you that even if Jesus does not change your situation, he will change you so much that you react to your situation differently. Do you see it? That's the power of Jesus. So, this little girl is not quite like I am, I admit it. One day it comes to her that maybe no doctor in Syria can heal Naaman. But she remembers that there was a prophet, a prophet in her homeland who had power beyond physicians. Well, that's, that's some information that I might have kept. Because I'm being honest with you, here I am in a foreign land, in a foreign house, and I've got to do what they say. But this young lady was so moved by the power of Jesus that she suggests to somebody you know, if he really wants to be healed, I know a man. You know, a preacher ought not ever say things like that because I'm tempted to take off on I know a man, but we'll do that later on. Just wanted to let you know I, I recognized it when I passed. I, I know somebody. And she says to maybe the wife, maybe one of the other servants, if he really wants to be healed, there's a man in Israel who moves by power that is greater than he is. And somebody began, well, you know how it is, whispering at the office where you work. Don't they do it? Bad news moves very quickly. Good news moves eventually. <laughs> and somebody will say, hey, did anybody tell him? The little girl, you know, the little girl, nice little girl. She didn't get mad. I'm shocked. Because if I were that little girl, I'd be crying all day long. But she's got something in her that just keeps her kind of bouncing around. And even though she's away from her family and her parents, she still has a power in her that keeps her from turning bitter. And incidentally, little girl says she knows somebody who could heal Lord Naaman of his leprosy. I said, well, somebody go tell him. I said, well, I'm scared to tell him because if it doesn't work, he might think I failed. So why don't you tell him? Oh, so well, let her tell it. Oh, she'll do it. Maybe she got the opportunity. Uh, 
excuse me, uh, Lord Naaman, I know it's not natural for me to, to like you. And I, you know, and I do want to say that I would rather be at home. But since I'm here, I want you to know that there's a man in my home country who moves by the power of my God. And this man could heal you of your leprosy. Now, the, the title of the sermon is Surprises and Disappointments. I'm going to take you through some surprises first. My first surprise is that the little girl didn't turn bitter. My second surprise is that a man so powerful in Syria would listen to a prescription from somebody who is of another nation. Do you see it? I know people who claim to be Christians, but they will only like you if you are like them. This is not the point to be quiet. You revealed something about yourself. There are people who claim that they are children of God, that they are in the family of God. And when you say that you are in the family of God, you must understand that in Christ, we are all one. Ah. I might not naturally gravitate towards you. I, I might not immediately think you're the greatest person I ever met. But if I discover that, that Jesus made you, that Jesus saved you, if, if I notice in you nothing that draws me to you naturally, but I recognize that you belong to him, you are family. What are you going to do when you get to heaven? You're going to ask for a different neighborhood? You, you think they got zoning regulations in heaven? All you folk go that way? All of you go that way? Hey, I got a funny feeling. We're going to all be together there. So maybe you ought to stop trying to go to heaven if you can't stand people who are not just like you. Because in Christ... We are one. So I'm surprised, pleasantly surprised, that Naaman says, bring her in here. Let me listen to her. But you know, if, if you got a problem, you can drop all of that stuff about national origin. <laughs> when you really need help, national origin does not appear on your radar. So the first surprise is that he accepts it from this dear one. Now, the second one is, that when Naaman decides that he wants to act on it, and don't let me pass by too quickly, that the faith of a little girl engenders faith in an old soldier, which engenders faith in the king of Syria. Faith spreads. Faith is contagious. If you've got faith, you ought to share faith. You ought to let it out and don't be equivocating when you do it. Say it and mean it. Stand on it. Don't back down. Let it be your story and stick to it. If you know what God can do, don't keep it to yourself. Little girl says, I believe. Naaman says, okay then, I believe gets in contact with the king he says all right then i'll believe 
faith is contagious. Now, Naaman says, look, write, write the letters. I want to do this right. Send the letters to the king of Israel and, and let him know that I want to come over and find this prophet. I want, to, I want to find this one who might be able to, in a super normal way, handle my disease. Now, amazingly, this, this, this is interesting to me. The king of Syria catches faith. The king of Israel, who ought to have faith, uh, hey, just because you got your membership at some church does not make you holy. Just because your grandmother was a Christian, it doesn't pass down the genetic structure. Just because you are identified with a group of people who ought to be faithful does not mean you have faith. Faith is an individual thing that comes through the power of the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And you got to get it yourself. You can't depend on it spreading to you. It spreads, but you ought to get it for yourself through the power of Jesus Christ. So the, the king of Israel says, let's see, see, see what's happening, gentlemen. Wake up. Benadad is trying to create some international incident so he can have a pretext for war. Well, the word got over to, uh, to the prophet. And uh, what you've got to understand is, though the king didn't have faith, prophet said, hey, what, what's the situation? Well, there's, there's a, a great soldier in Syria who wants to come here so you can heal him. And our king says he doesn't want it to happen because it might cause an international incident. Prophet said, bring the man. Bring him in here. We don't, have any, we don't need any international incidents. The power of God is able to work on Israelites as well as Syrians. God can heal anybody who believes. Do you believe it? There are no national boundaries. Think God won't work on somebody because they come from some different nation? So, listen, you must understand that, that the prophet seized on it. The king saw it as a challenge. The prophet saw it as an opportunity. Put me in the category with the prophet. When a problem arises, it's not a challenge. With God, it's an opportunity. In fact, when you have a test, you ought to get excited because you know God is able. So if God is able, the only thing you need to find out is how he's going to do what he can do. Because he has the power. And so I'm telling you that we've got a moment here where the prophet is on the right side. Now, the second thing that surprises me, incidentally, is that Naaman, though he is powerful, does not run off on his own. I'm going to say this so carefully. There are Christians who love Jesus, but they can't get along with other Christians. Because everything they do is unilateral. You know, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm in Christ. Well, why don't you check with the superintendent? I don't have to check with the superintendent. I got Jesus in me, just like she's got Jesus in her. I don't have to ask anybody. I move on my own. 
and that's why in many religious groups you can barely keep them together they are like mercury you can't hold them together because there are not enough people who have Jesus in their lives who recognize that Jesus has placed people in authority and so long as it doesn't conflict with thus saith the Lord you ought to recognize people in authority so watch this the word comes and and my third surprise is that a powerful man like Naaman wouldn't say uh, someone go and pick up Elisha take my chariot no not the best one <laughs> you're going to Israel I understand their roads are not particularly in great repair take uh, take Air Force Two and, and go pick him up bring him here and you know give him every respect but I need healing bring him but look if you really need healing from God why does the healing have to come to you so I'm surprised I am pleasantly surprised that here's a powerful person that doesn't try to bring everything to him he's not like those people on the internet who order everything and expect it in a few hours overnight express when you want something from Jesus why don't you go where Jesus is why don't you go and seek him why don't you do that Naaman surprises me because he doesn't try to control the situation Naaman surprises me because after he gets there and you forgive me I, I see this stuff I feel like I've been there so I I see the, the preparations that are made the, the the silver that they put together one biblical scholar said it was at least fifty thousand dollars worth of silver that they put together I don't know what that'd be worth now but they put together a purse for the prophet and they get into the chariot and they make sure everything is right I can see it happening you don't travel alone if you are a great celebrated general you have hangers-on you have mid-management functionaries so if you're riding if you're riding in your Hummer you've got a few Chevy Suburbans up front and a few Chevy Suburbans in back forgive me my imagination works this way so everybody's now talking you know you've seen these guys with these things like I got on alright I'll tell you what they say around me the ball is rolling <laughs> alright are you ready alright are you okay are you taking off how, how fast are we gonna go well I think we'll start off particularly on our roads they'll be smooth let's make some time when we cross over into Israel we don't know what to expect so maybe we can slow down then just because we don't know alright then I'll hear you if anything comes up you get back to me alright then 10-4 <laughs> then they roll up to this preacher's house most preachers don't live in fabulous houses you know so it's probably kind of like a, uh, would you call him and ask him is this for sure Elisha's house is this where this great prophet lives oh, I don't see how you can live in there but if this is where he is okay alright so now the, they come back together alright Prophet one, this is prophet three. 
deploy the carpet. <laughs> Is Lord Naaman ready to come out? Not just a minute, he wants to kind of compose himself. In fact, he wants to send somebody to the door. Somebody. Uh, hello. Uh, is this the home of Elisha? Yes. Uh, Lord Naaman is here. We had in mind that perhaps he would come out, greet Lord Naaman. Maybe he could even come to our chariot and do whatever it is that he does. Uh, incidentally, what is he planning to do? Does he sprinkle something or lay hands on him? We would need to know that for security reasons. He cannot... <laughs> Elisha says, look, tell him, go dip in the Jordan seven times. Prophet 3, we have a problem. Uh, yes. Uh, please don't let Lord Naaman hear you now, but uh, the prophet says he will not come out. There will be no greeting. Right. No. He said, go back to that muddy body of water we passed. And in his exact words, dip in that water seven times. If I were you, I'd be real careful how I tell Lord Naaman that. Finally, somebody tells Naaman. Um, sir, um, I, I really hope you don't take offense at this, but here's our situation. Uh, the prophet says that you ought to go, you remember we passed a nice little Israelite river and he says he would advise that you go back there and get in that water I know sir it, it was yeah I didn't like it either but they want you to get in it and kind of go under it I think they mean completely right immerse yeah seven times the Bible says Naaman was mad. You can look in any commentary you want to. Naaman was, you know, I, see I got him, I understand. Because I came from places where people are demonstrative when they are insulted. Go where? Do what? <laughs> Gotta be out of his mind. We could have been in the Abana. We could have been in the far part. I went and looked up what those bodies of water represented. They were called the golden stream. The water was clear as crystal. There were beautiful statues placed artfully along the stream. There were some that were, that were coated in, in metal, perhaps gold or silver. The water was so beautiful there were objets d'art placed along the way. So you could go into the water, see your feet, just look down. It was perfect for situation. And what Naaman says is, I passed pretty water. 
Does he think I'm going in muddy water? Take off. What part of leave don't you understand? Get this chariot out of here and get it out now. So somebody has got to have a talk with Naaman. And I'm going to tell you, there are people in this world who won't take any advice from anybody under them. You know, I, I try my best to be cordial with people who haven't had much education. I, I, I try to empathize, but I find that their conversation is very bland. So if you ever see me being approached by some of these people, come and get me. Take me away. Program my cell phone so I can hit the button and make it ring. Because I don't like to spend time talking to these kinds of people. Let me tell you what you got to learn. Sometimes your best advice comes from the least likely person in your life. You got to learn to hear the Lord speaking no matter who he uses to send the message. It's not who said it, it's what they said. And I am pleasantly surprised that Naaman let somebody talk to him. I, I see it happening. Somebody says, look, are you going to do it? No, I'm not going to do it, man. That's, hey, you know, you got a little thing with him. He kind of likes you. Why don't you go talk? But man, this is, this is the, you see how mad he is? Yeah, I saw him. He is disturbed. Look at the chariot. It's rocking. He's doing all, he, he is angry. I said, yeah, but I tell you what, he came over here with leprosy. He can be mad as he wants to be. But he's still going to have leprosy when we go home. Somebody needs to go up there and give him a reality check. So here he comes. Uh, Lord Naaman, uh, you're very upset, aren't you? You know, I can understand. I feel you. I really do. Because you're right, I overheard you. We pass, you know. We, we got wonderful, in Damascus, you're talking about water? We got pretty places. So I understand you. First thing I want to let you know is, I understand. But could I just say something to you real quiet so nobody can hear? Didn't you come over here because you got leprosy? <laughs> Didn't that little girl tell you about this preacher who knows the God of Israel? So if you get really mad and leave, aren't you going to have leprosy when you get back home? <laughs> now, I don't want to upset you because I need this job. <laughs> but if I were you, and I had, you know, like them, <laughs> I'd be in some water. I'd be dipping all over the place in the Jordan. And somehow he gets him. And, and I'm telling you that the next thing that surprises me is that Naaman listens to someone who's beneath his station. Because in that voice, he hears the voice of God. Now, I'm not going to try to describe what happens when he gets to the Jordan. 
too many preachers have spent too much time describing that I could only repeat what most of them have said but I do want to point out one thing about this man going into the muddy water when he gets into the water I suspect that he might have dipped once and when he came up start looking for change with the assumption that if you got to dip seven times one-seventh of his leprosy should be gone can we talk there are people who want to tell God how to do it tell God where to do it tell God what circumstances tell God what ceremonies and then when they just stop obeying him they want results you know I return tithe like that preacher said and it's been 24 hours <laughs> 24 hours talking about people who salary triple I've got another dime well, well look you've been in your way all that time and nothing has happened why don't you try Jesus and let that have some time so now it's two times and three times and you know in that kind of water thinking all the time about the golden stream coming up saying hey come here look hey come here come down in here with me you've seen me I know you have I know you try to act like you weren't looking but you've seen this hand before right do you see any difference I think you ought to keep on doing it uh, and he's down five six and after six no change I'm coming down your street now how do we have the temerity to expect God to do anything until we have obeyed him completely And I, I'll admit to you, I chose this one because it rings baptism. And there are people who need to be baptized. And, and yet you say, well, I, you know, I've done a lot of things. I really have. I've done a lot of things. It looked like to me Jesus would recognize what I've done. And it would seem to me that something ought to be changing by now. But, but until you have obeyed him completely, how do you get the nerve to say to him, I don't see anything? Well, even if, even after you do everything that you think is right, your activities don't deserve a response. It is his love that brings a response. All of our righteousnesses are like filthy rats. You don't cause him to do something by your obedience. It's simply his love for you that gives you what he promised to you. It's not based on your act it's based on his love and until you have obeyed him all the way some folk have said well I never heard that that stuff you preach well you never heard it because he was in here all the time <laughs> and if Jesus asks it if Jesus commands it until you have done everything that he commands how dare you say he didn't come through 
and I, I, I want to make this my experience the power moment. It, it's not six. It's not six and a half. It's not six and a bend. It's seven. And when that man came out of that water, the seventh time, he looked at himself and recognized that God, through the prophet Elisha, had taken away totally his problem. In the Bible, leprosy is related to sin. Amazingly, God does not make us do things for him to remove sin. He trusts us enough to remove sin by the power of his blood. Then he sets us free, not with just a cleansing, but he changes our heart. He gives us a clean heart and a new start, takes away your history of sin and says, now see if you can do it by my power. Don't even try it by your power. I'll come inside of you. I'll live my life inside of you. So what Jesus asks is not that you do it. He asks that you let him in and let him do it. And I tell you that the leprosy of sin is washed away by the power that's in the blood of Jesus. Now, now stick with me. This is where it gets wonderful to me. Remember that uh, Naaman said, I don't like your rivers. The Jordan was not an ordinary river. The Jordan had obeyed God twice. Joshua had come to the Jordan and in the name of God said, open. And when they went in with the Ark of the Covenant, the Jordan obeyed God and rolled back just like the Red Sea had done. So the Jordan is not an ordinary river. It's a river that obeys God. Then remember, Elijah and Elisha come to the same river. And Elijah folds up his cloak and hits the water. Then the Jordan does it again. This water knows Jesus. This water is obedient. Maybe that's why there was power in the Jordan while there was no power in the Abana or the fire pot. It was water that obeyed God. So he's in the water, but he disrespected the water until he was healed. There are some people who only love God when he does things for them. We've got to learn how to love Jesus when he answers prayers the way we want them answered or when he's silent or when he says no. He's still Jesus. He's still Jesus. So watch this. Now the man who didn't like the water goes back and says, would you give me some dirt? Well, you, you didn't see that, did you? Do we need to find that? You got 2 Kings 5? He goes back and makes a declaration. In fact, I got to read this one. It's powerful. This is 2 Kings chapter 5. Look at verse 15. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him and said, Behold now. I got to pause there just a minute for drama. The man who said, I, I, I don't like your water. You mean he didn't come out to meet me? You mean I got to go in muddy water? But now he's cleansed of leprosy. He comes back with all his company. He gets out of his chariot. He goes up to the little funny looking house. 
and presents himself. Because I'm going to tell you something, once you understand the power of Jesus, your pride will melt. You will do anything that the Lord says. And you don't have to see it to believe it. You can believe it by faith. The fact is that the Lord can do anything. All you've got to do is trust him and believe. Well, here it goes. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him and said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. See, I know folk who got all kinds of blessings, but they won't say that. You know, they get smug. You got your doctorate. You and I know that when they... Uh, when they called you in to defend that thesis. You remember that, don't you? You remember the night before when you called pastors of every ilk? Pray for me. Pray for me. Look, I got a dissertation. It's got holes in it. Pray that God will cover the holes. I've been working so long. I don't know what to do. And I got to get this. I don't have enough money to keep on going. I got to get it. And you were praying all over the place the night before. Then God stepped in there with you. You brought that little thing in with all the little thin spots. God made your tongue work. You were eloquent when you spoke. Every question they asked, you had an immediate answer. Somebody found a little, little place in there that might have been weak. You said, oh no, you don't understand. Let's go to the appendix and I'll show you what I got there. And then you came out and you were okay. And there are people who get past that and then come out and turn on God. Yes, well, the way that I got it was that my family has always been on the higher levels of intellect. My father and his father before him. You better remember the only one who got you through was Jesus. Huh? Remember that little funny car you, you had before? And remember it wouldn't start every time? And you prayed and said, Lord, please. And they put you in that little room where they put you before they let you credit through. And you were in there talking to Jesus while they turned the air conditioner off on you. And you were saying, Lord, if you give me this car in the name of Jesus, I'll carry people to church. I'll go on God's errands. If you just get me out of that funny looking thing I used to have, I will do everything you wanted me to do. And they came back in there and shocked you and said, your credit has passed. You tried not to scream. You tried to be calm, but deep down inside, there was a little person jumping up and down saying, how in the world did God get me through? But then when you get outside with your little old car, yes, I, I cut a deal on it. I'm able to do. Folks, we have got to get to the place where we stop acting calm when God gives blessings. God is able, but somebody ought to testify. Stop trying to be so nonplus, trying to be so eloquent. Why don't you just go ahead and praise God for what he has done? Why don't you give him the praise that he is due? Man comes back and says, look, I want to tell you what I need. I want some dirt. Well, he says, I want some. Here is what he believed. You see, Naaman comes from another culture, and he thought that the God of Elisha was like the gods of Syria that you had to worship them on home turf. So he said, give me two mules worth of dirt. I'm going to go back and build an altar with Israelite dirt. Didn't like your water before. 
Now I like your water and your dirt. Give me enough, give me enough soil to build an altar. And when I get home, I will build an altar to the only God. There is no other God anywhere except your God. And when I get back home, I will, I will make it so that I will only worship him. Now, let me tell you the only place where Naaman disappoints me. Look at uh, verse 18. The man does not have leprosy. Do you believe he took off some clothes? I'm not talking about being risque, but if you, had, if you had been a leper all that time and you had to cover yourself up and you had things down to here and up to here, when you came out of that water and your skin was like a baby's skin, don't you think Naaman said, uh, we can take this one off. I'd like to wear something light. Yeah, that one, right? Yeah, but you, you didn't use, well, that was before. Look at me now. Let me, let me wear something that just kind of wears easy on me. And let's go now to the prophet. But watch verse 18, and here's where he disappoints me. In this thing, the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master goeth into the house of Rimon to worship him there, and he leaneth on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon, when I bow down myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. Now listen what he was saying. He says, when I go home, my king goes to worship the God we used to worship, and he puts his hand on my arm, and we bow together. And I want to ask you to, to pardon me, because I'm not going to stop doing that. I just want you to know that when I go in there with the king, I'm not worshiping Rima. He's worshiping Rima. But I don't want to break my relationship with my king. So I'm going to go in and bow down. But it's not me bowing down. It's my king bowing down and I'm helping him. Listen to what I want to tell you tonight. There are too many people trying to take care of their instant needs by going against what God says to keep their friends, to keep their faith, to keep their family. Once you have decided that God is the only God of heaven and earth, drop all of that stuff. Go back and tell the king, I'm not going with you. I used to believe in Rima. But now I believe in the God of Israel. He's the only God in heaven and earth. So you gotta find somebody else to lean on when you're going there. But instead he says, when you hear that I'm over there again, worshiping Rima, I just want you to understand, it's not me. I'm just trying to help him. Here's where I wanna go tonight. Well, let me give you a text. It'll be better. Here's what the Bible says in James chapter four and verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, it is sin. If you know what's right to do, and you don't do it for whatever little old reason you got, I'm going to bend down, and you're going to hear about it, but it's not me worshiping him. I'm just bending down for my king. Take your little old flimsy excuse. God understood Naaman. 
because he was from another culture. God understood Naaman, and the man of God said to him, go in peace. But God knows what you know. And before you know, you're not responsible. But after you know, you got to move on what you know. And you ought to, don't try to explain to God, I'm just looking like I'm doing wrong. You've got to avoid the very appearance of evil. Once you know what's right to do, why don't you stand up like a man or stand up like a woman? Why don't you stand up on the side of Jesus and do what you know is right to do? So tonight, I can tell you what we're going to do in this place. Some of you already have some little commitment cards. And they say baptism. And I'd like to ask every one of our downlink sites, you decide how to pass out the commitment cards, or you decide whether to call people down front. But the time has come for somebody to stop equivocating and making excuses and trying to tell me what you look like when you don't do what you know to be right. It's time for somebody to recognize that Jesus is calling a people who will stand up for right though the heavens fall. And he will give you the power through his Holy Spirit to stand up without shaking. You won't waver. And so tonight it is my privilege to call you to simply obey what Jesus says. Why don't you make a decision tonight and make it on God's side? And so until Tuesday night, may God hear you when you call. May God lift you if you fall. May God bless you as you stand. May God hold you in the palm of his hand. Walter Pearson believes that Jesus Christ is the answer to every problem you face.